Welcome, everybody, to Jen Springer's weekly Monday night call. I'm Monty Moran. I get to introduce you guys to the new month, so happy Grovember. I hope this is a, a month where we get to grow. <clears throat> so starting off, I just want to get these out of the way because we always do the promos, and now that we're in November, here's the promos. So Ginger and Christmas Spirit and the 10% back on your PV orders and Thyromin are all for the 300 PV. I'm working my way backwards this time. For the 250 PV, basically just eliminate the thyromin. So you still have the ginger, Christmas spirit, and the 10% back in essential rewards points. And that's in addition to your other essential rewards points, whether you're at 10, 15, or 20%. <clears throat> and then for the 190 PV, you get ginger and Christmas spirit for the blends. And I don't know if any of you have ever had toe shoes, and I wear toe shoes quite a bit. And if you wear them barefoot, let me tell you something. Christmas spirit is kind of the oil I'm using right now to freshen up my feet. I just got back from the gym. So a little anecdote. Is anybody out there who has gone to Mastermind? Raise your hand. <laughs> All right. So there's a few of you. And some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand. You can't see me anyway. So the deal <laughs> with Mastermind, and, and here's why I do this, is because if you're working your tail off, sometimes you get discouraged sometimes you get pumped up it depends on you know how things are working but if you're investing in yourself and you're doing things like this two things well three things happen one is is that we always need our gas tank filled back up no matter what you're doing it's always nice to kind of be recharged by seeing what other people are doing and knowing that people are on the same page two is if you think you're done with high school if you think you're done with college and you're not going to have to learn anything for the rest of your life, you're dead wrong because life is nothing but a series of learning events. And so if you can do that and invest in yourself and learn more, you're only going to get better because you're going to increase the skill set. And then here's probably the biggest thing, and here's my takeaway from Mastermind the last three years. And it always happens usually at the breakout session. And I'm going to tell you here's the biggest one is, it expands your mind as far as what is possible. And I can tell you this, that for the longest time, well, for probably the last three years, I wanted to go global. And mind you, are. so I have the United States and Canada, but I want to go across the pond, as they say, with my British friends. I was in a breakout session two years ago, and there was, <clears throat> there was a small group, and Art Jonak was presenting on this one. It was very interactive. And another guy got up and he was talking about, you know, how to do international things. And he warned people and he said, you know, don't get into more to, than four or five international markets because as an organization or a business, it's hard to maintain, especially when you're first starting out. Like, don't do a whole bunch at a time. Well, there is this young guy that was in front of me probably, like imagine a row in front of you and maybe three to your right. Scandinavian, like pure white blonde hair, couldn't have been more than 25 years old. And he asked, so what if you have 14 different countries that you're growing your business in? And the guy looked at him and said, you have 14 countries? And he goes, well, I have nine now, but there's five more that are like ready to go right now. And I looked at that dude and I, um, and I looked at his face and I thought, man, this dude is not even more than 25 years old. And he already has his, his organization grown to nine countries and he's going to expand to 14 countries. It's just a matter of fact. And I thought, man, you know, if, if the Midwest or my town or my state is 
big enough for me or, you know, just getting out of the house and going to talk to somebody is a big deal. Imagine what it'd be like to, to be out in different countries. That, that's huge. And so that was my first learning experience. If you talk about number three, as far as opening my mind, like, you know, what's possible. And then obviously this year was with um, Oren and Hildy Salas. They, they just had a son. His name is Gabriel. He's three months old. And Oren said, and mind you, Oren has made six-figure income since the age of 25. And now 10 years later, he's in his mid-30s. He's in a seven-figure income. And when Gabriel came along, he said that they've actually have made more money since she was pregnant and since Gabriel came along than they have before. So the whole thing about not doing a business because it's kids, it should be totally flipped around because you should be doing the business for your kids or because you have kids. Uh, so that's my little antidote for that. But I'd like to introduce Zenaida Lorenzo. And, and uh, you know, I love that name because it's, I kind of did the same thing with my daughter. It's like, oh, I'm going to pick a name or I'm not going to name them after any relatives, but pick a name that flows because if she ever gets on to something serious, it's nice to have a name that just flows. So I love saying Zenaida Lorenzo. So <laughs> Zenaida, welcome to the call. Thank you. Do you hear me? Yes. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if I was muted out. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm so excited just to spend some time with you again, Monty, because I really enjoyed our conversations um, that we had at the event. And what I got from you as a person is that you're committed to growth, and you're committed also to good practices, and you're also committed to just playing outside of the box, which I like. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's so, yes, yes, you have to think outside the box in order to succeed at anything. So that's really important to be an out-the-box thinker. So hey, what would you like hey, me you to know, talk Before we even get to that point, hold on. Before we get to that point, we should probably explain. Okay, I'll tell my story, and then you tell your story. My story is short. short. Okay. But... It's always a challenge for me. Well, not a challenge, but it's always a creative challenge. Like, who am I going to bring on the call every month? And so Jen said, well, you know, instead of going to your people you could always probably go to, just go to Mastermind and find somebody. And, you know, I stuck my nose to the grindstone on Friday and then Saturday at lunch, things changed. And ever since then, it's like all of a sudden I talked to a whole bunch of people. But Thursday, I didn't see anybody. Oh, wait, no, Friday. Friday is when we had the first lunch, right? We we first met on Friday. Okay, yeah. So never mind. I I guess I was trying to like stay close and like just mind my own business, but it's just kind of my nature to like interact with people. So me and Zenaida met at lunch, uh, food truck food, and kind of in the in the uh, outdoor, what would you say, courtyard kind of deal. Yeah, it was a courtyard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll go ahead with your side of the story. Okay, so any, so I my story is I went to Mastermind. I was actually a network marketer, and I retired six years ago. Um, I, I became a millionaire with my network marketing business, and I spent the last six years um, doing research. I at the age of forty, I had enough money that I didn't have to work, that I didn't have to do my network marketing business. So I decided to go back to school. And for the last six years, I've been doing research on what creates expertise, why some people are peak performers and why some people are not. And I actually went to Mastermind because after I finished um, 
my academic work, I actually decided that I was going to do go into like more corporate type of training and, and development and consulting. And after doing that for a couple of years, uh, working on very, very small projects, I realized that where my heart is, is in network marketing. So I'm excited because I'm bringing all these tools that are empirically tested and proven in many ways to help people to the network marketing industry. And I just went to Mastermind really just to get reacquainted with the industry. So I'm excited that I did. I thought it was an amazing event. And I learned so much. And so much of what I learned is really founded in so many principles that people who are peak performers use and people who and they've been tested empirically in, 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 um, in laboratories. So I'm excited about sharing some of the distinctions that I learned at Mastermind and how they apply to actually bringing your game up and really playing full out. You know, it's interesting because when you talked about Mastermind, you thought, you know, this is really cool because it's not like a rah-rah convention. It's actually kind of talking about your what we're talking about now. It's how do you get your mind right to do what you need to do? Because there is no rah-rah. I mean, we had fun with that, you know, turn it down for what kind of stuff. But, I mean, that was about it. I mean, that was the highlight, highlight of, you know, a little mini party. And mind you, it was only maybe 10 minutes, you know, and then we got back to business. But, yeah, it was not rah-rah. It's, pretty, it's, it's hardcore, 14 hours a day for two and a half days, educational. Exactly. But to me, it was really inspirational. Um, there's a couple of things that I, that I took from it that, for me, were critical because so many times you go to these events and everybody's, like you said, really raw and excited and you leave fired up, but you don't really leave with any tools. And I think the biggest tool for me, and, and I want to draw it back to what science talks about because that's where I'm drawing my inspiration from. Everyone who's a trainer draws their inspiration from different sources. I draw mine from science because I want to know what works for most people. Not for all people, but what works for most people. And one of the – everyone who was on stage told their story. And there was not one person on that stage that did not – that succeeded before year five that really had the, the million dollar uh, or close to a million dollar income until year, after year five. And I think that's a very important distinction because I think that some people, like, they play in this game and they want to have fast results. But if you, you know, did you hear anyone that had results, um, Monty, before five years? Uh, no. It no. Was, it was a lot of struggle. It was, and, and people, there were so many people on stage that said they didn't make their first sale until like after month six or seven. And that's really important because one of the keys to success is perseverance. And the only reason that people, that perseverance is an important tool is because you learn. See, what happens is those five years weren't really about being strong and, and just sticking it out. What's happened during those five years is learning. And that's key because when you look out, we all have prodigies that we see on television. We always hear about that 25-year-old millionaire or that 23-year-old millionaire. But if you really have to look behind the story and how many years it took them of practice, of dedication to succeed. 
you know, and in this country, unfortunately, we think of talent as something that people are born with. And when you look again and again at all the uh, prodigies, at all the people that have succeeded, you look at a history of massive learning. And when I think about network marketing, it three to five years of making some money, sometimes making really good money, but getting to that mark, the seven-figure mark, really does take over five years. And I think that once people internalize that, they're going to, the way they're going to approach failure, or what, in quotation marks, because I don't think there's anything such thing as failure, would be very differently than if they, if they constantly look for that reinforcement, that look for ways. You know, people tend to look at, okay, if I do this, I will, I will receive this, a tangible. But a lot of what you get in the first three to five years of your business is intangible learning that you can't really hold it, but over time it gets stronger and stronger and you get those results. I agree. And good job because you just covered like one of the first things that we were going to talk about with inoculation and you just totally inoculated everybody saying, look, the top income earners in network marketing don't make it in the first five years. It's after that five-year mark that, that, you know, things start to turn around, you know, and some people don't make their first sale until, you know, they're half a year into it. So a nice job on inoculating. That's because that's exactly what we need because, um, when you talked about the prodigies and, and things like that, there's a guy, and I, I think his last name is Cameron. Anyway, okay. he's a young dude, but he was a millionaire at age 18 um, with a business. But just like you said, the story behind that was, well, he actually had, in his teenage years, 17 to 18 different businesses that he started and failed at before that 19th business took off for him. So, yeah, I mean, there's always a story behind the story, and it's usually there's a lot of things that you need to figure out as far as, okay, well, how does business work, first of all? How do I work? Most people don't even figure out how they own their, their own selves work, how their mind works, how their body works, things like that. And it's, just, it's a process for you. Okay, so this is how this works, and I'm making the paradigm shift, just to use the famous words now, Bob Proctor or some of those other people. It's a shift that paradigm where, you know, you open your mind to possibilities and you learn a skill set to make things happen. So, but, you know, let's just jump right into inoculating because we're right on that cusp. So let's go for it. Awesome. So, you know, what, when I was in, at the university, so I, I grew up personally with a lot of learning disabilities. So I didn't learn how to read into my mid-20s. And that was one of the reasons why I was really interested in researching expertise and, and peak performers because I was wondering how was I able to come from where I came from and succeed. Where did you come from? Well, okay, I'll tell you my background. So I grew up okay. extremely poor. I'll tell you my background. And this is something, Monty, you don't know about me that I didn't really share and I don't share often. So my background, um, my mom, I was, my, I was the third child of my mom, and she actually had to give me away. She didn't have enough money to support three children, so she gave me away to my father's mother. So I was raised by my grandmother. And my grandmother spoke Spanish. My grandmother probably had about a fifth grade education. And my grandfather, although didn't have much of an education, he actually read well and wrote. So my family's from Puerto Rico. And they came in the 50s and 60s to the United States, to New Jersey, for 
just to make money. They grew up in farms, and they were farmers. My mom came to the uh, United States when she was 13, but she lived in a Hispanic community. My, both my parents may have a fifth-grade education. Brilliant people, just never had access to an education. And when we grew up, my education was not very important. And actually what really was important to my family was that I ate every day. That was the only thing that was important. I never did homework. And I failed second grade, third grade, fourth grade, and fifth grade. Failed all those years. And when I graduated high school, they didn't have no child left behind and all this legislation they have now with education. I graduated high school reading at the second grade reading level. And um, can you imagine, you know, not being able to read? I had very low self-esteem, married into a guy that wasn't very nice to me. And at 23, I actually was in New York and uh, living in a women's battered shelter. And I met a man named David through another woman that was at the shelter. And she said, David taught women how to make six figures in sales. And he had this program that he offered at his company where he taught women how to sell. And he also had a job placement. So while at the shelter, I went to visit David, and I had broken down clothes, and I went to visit David, and David rejected me because I just didn't look the part of someone that could succeed in sales. So I got a job as a waitress. In nine months, I saved my money, was able to get out of the shelter and have, you know, live in a, with a roommate. And Nine months later, I went back to David, I had a nice suit, and I convinced him to give me a job. He gave me a job on Saturdays. That was the turning point in my life. I was 25 years, 20, I was 23 when I got to New York. I was about 24 when I met David. And David taught me how to speak well. And after a couple years of speaking very well, I was a very successful saleswoman, believe it or not. He taught me sales. I was aggressive. I went to work early. I left late. And... um then I taught myself to read. I taught myself to read by memorizing words on index cards. I started with two SAT um, word books, and I actually literally memorized words because David told me that reading, a lot of reading has to do with memori- memorization of words, and he's absolutely right. So I became a top um, salesperson for the company. After learning to read, I was on television. I got a Lifetime Achievement Award from Orton Dyslexia Society. I was in a mini documentary. I did a commercial for Giuliani, and my whole life turned around. But one thing that I realized, going from being not able to read to being able to read at age 29, I realized that I could learn anything because it was one of the biggest struggles. I failed so much in life. I always was a go-getter, and that's one thing what what I was, it was called functionally illiterate. I function in the world, but I was illiterate. You'll be amazed how many people in America can't read above the eighth grade reading level. I think it's about 10%. So I wasn't really alone in that. And basically um, made a ton of money in my, in my profession um, selling advertising in New York City. And at the age of 35, I was fired. I worked at the company for 12, about 12 years. And I was fired, and I had a friend who was in a network marketing company. And he was lazy. And it was, it was a little bit different system from your system, but basically it was a two-up system, meaning that you got the first two sales from everyone on your team. So that's how the residual was built in. And I was over my friend, and we sold very, very expensive products. So it was like a right. very high 
product sales. And basically, he was making a ton of money, and he was lazy. And I got involved in my network marketing business. Six months later, I broke the monthly sales record, and then 18 months, I was a top income earner in my company. And then I went on to the you know four years of being one of the top five um, people. So that's kind of my story. <laughs> I didn't share a lot with you this weekend, but that's my background. And that's what really led me to do the research I've done. Because I believe if I was the most insecure person in the world. I really was. And I let failure stop me for so much of my life that I wanted to understand really what created peak performance from two perspectives. One, so I could teach other people and understand it, and for myself so that I could really have some closure on how I was able to overcome the obstacles I did come overcome. So that's my story. You just totally hit something that's ex- – oh, my God, this is huge. Teaching people so that you can understand it. Huge. Because uh, – you know, I'm an adjunct teacher at a private college, and mind you, I know chemistry and I know exercise science stuff. I know it, but for me to teach it to people, man, I really know it now, and I never thought I would know it that well. Like, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you how much I know about exercise science, anatomy, and phys. I never figured I would have known that much, you know, because the the traditional big colleges, it's basically they give you the information, you regurgitate it back, and you pass, or ace it or you flunk it, you know, one of those things. But mm-hmm. yeah, huge. And so now when you're working with an organization, say, uh, okay, so in our group, you know, our first major leadership role is executive. So, you know, they're making 4000 a month in sales and they have two people underneath them that are making $1,000 a month in sales, basically. And mm-hmm. so that's like the first leadership role. And it's like, that's where you need to be able to, to basically ramp up. And so that when you get to that executive point, and you've got these two people that are doing sales is to, is to teach them, okay, so now this is how you get to where I'm at. And then when I learn how to get to the next level, then I'll show you how I got to the next level kind of deal. And if you want to go above and beyond me, then let's get together with somebody who's higher up and figure out how they do it, you know, that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. You know, because you can only learn as much as – you can only teach what you know. So, um, But if you can teach what you know to somebody else and you can make it simplified – then you really know your stuff. If you teach it and you make it all complicated, you really don't know what you're doing. Uh, so that's the big one is to learn how to teach to people and, and make it simple and actually learn it even better than you, you've learned it before. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. But one thing, I t- everything I said, you know, I will repeat everything that you just said. But one thing I want to give out is this, is you have to be, on the receiving side, you have to be a good listener. And I think when, when I say good listener, you have to listen from a whole different perspective. I think that when people listen, depending on the personality of the person, would be from filters of like, oh, my God, am I, fa- am I going to fail? Oh, my God, am I going to be rejected? And those are really key, key distinctions because I think that if, when you're listening for instructions, those things have to be out of your mind in order to take in what you're about to receive. And I find that in any business that requires one to interact with others or sell or motivate or show, those filters could be there. So 
when you listen, I think that the best way to listen to instruction is to listen from what are the skills I have to learn and breaking those skills down to sub-skills and also understanding where, how they've used those skills in the past. So, for example, when I went to school, my question was, how do you succeed? That was the only question. So my research was, how do people succeed? I quickly learned that it was through learning, like changing. See, what happens is when you, your brain physically has to change if you want to have different outcomes, literally. Like you are, your brain determines everything. And to make this simple is pretty much you have to make these different connections in your brain for you to be able to function differently. And one way you can do that fast is when you receive information. So let's say that you're being taught how to speak, how, learn, if you're learning leadership. Let's say you're learning leadership and you're already at a higher level and you have your upline is two, two levels above you and you have people underneath you. How, and you're being taught leadership skills. What you want to do is you want to say, how have I used this information in the past or how have I experienced this information in the past? How have I used it presently or how can I use it presently and how can I use it in the future? And the, all of that may sound really simple, but by you engaging in those types of thoughts, what happens is it cements those practices in your brain, to say it simply. And basically, it, it also plays an unconscious, at the unconscious level because what happens is when the opportunity comes, you're already thought about those, how to use it, and it comes out more naturally. I'm trying, one of the, the Monty, one of the, and, and everyone listening, one of, the, one of the things that I'm working on personally is how to make these concepts that are pretty complicated um, simple, and that's why I'm struggling a little bit. It is tough, yeah. Okay. So, okay, so you glossed over this really fast, but it's, so if you're learning something, it's how do you take something from past experience, present experience, and then how do you apply it to to a future experience? Did I miss that, or is that right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. You, you, you did. So this is what happens. Okay, so, this, so by default, so those five people, everyone on stage said that it took them five years to get right. to where they, they got to. One of the at reasons, least. at least five years, one of the reasons it takes some people longer, I believe you could shorten the process dramatically. But how you approach the, the information, the learning will determine how fast you succeed. See, a lot of people think of success as something that comes to them. So when I ask people, like, you know, what are your goals? Most of the time I get this glossy-eyed person that says, you know, I wish to become this one day. And what I realize when I ask them a couple questions is that they have made no plans. They're not active in their goal achievement. They're just kind of like hoping that one day something will happen. If they stay in the game long enough, it will. See, because when you're around certain in, an environment, what happens is you're going to learn some things passively. They're just going to, you know, you're going to repeat those um, instances, that the same thing's going to come to you again and again, and all of a sudden you're going to make a connection. You say, oh, I get it. But if you want to aggressively shorten the learning curve, you have to start using 
what you're being taught as fast as you're being taught. So what happens to some people, they, because of the nature of sales, the nature of presenting, the nature of other people, what I find is some people are always in a state of, oh, my God, I have to learn this. Oh, my God, am I going to succeed? Oh, my God, am I going to fail? Oh, my God, how about if I get rejected? They're in that state so that there's no learning happening, right? With one right. of the things that has to happen is, first of all, you must understand that failing, being rejected, is part of any game that's a big game. No one made it to the top without failing. But failing, some people take failure as like, oh, my God, there's something wrong with me. I'm not good enough. Oh, this always happens to me. They have these kinds of conversations. But instead, look at them as little obstacles. Okay, what have I learned? What is the learning opportunity here? If you present your business to five people and five people reject you, you can say, oh, my God, I'm no good at this. Oh, my God, this is going to take me forever. Or you can say, okay, what happened in incident one? Okay, that person said this. How did I respond? Okay, I said this. Maybe I could improve that. Then the second person you, that re, you know, says no to your business opportunity, oh, okay, they said that. Oh, they said something similar to the first person, but they also said this. How do, how do I answer that? See, what happens is with practice, you become more fluid at presenting, right? You keep on practicing your presenting skills, you become more fluid. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is making those connections, so the first thing is you have, to under, you have to have the approach that talent is something that you're not born with, that you can develop. Once you have that attitude, all that noise of failure, rejection goes right out the door. Because if you're approaching your business from the standpoint that I can, I will learn this, I will be good. Because it, once you understand how people are developed, it's easier. We don't have time to get on that on this call. But then that <laughs> conversation shifts. And then the conversation should be how, what, how do I do this, what do I say, what is next, what is my, my upline telling me, how can I apply this? See, it shortens the time. You know you're going to spend your time thinking about what's wrong with you, why this is not working, or you're going to – Spend your time deliberately practicing what it is that you're going to do. And I'll tell you, it will shorten your learning experience by at least half the time. At least half the time. And so you're saying that part of it is basically affirming to yourself that, look, I can do this. You know, I will be good at this. And, you know, no matter where you're at right now, like, if I have five dollars, somebody him say, you know, I can make ten dollars. You know, I can, you know, I will be good at making even more than ten dollars, kind of deal. And this is such a cheesy thing, but then it's like, all right, so you're re, you're basically resetting your mindset, saying, look, you're better than what you are now, and then put yourself in that spot, even if it's imaginary, because eventually, even if you tell yourself an imaginary truth, you keep telling yourself long enough, and it's going to come true. Um, but then. Monty, it's not imaginary. It's fact. First right, of all, it's, it's fact. It's fact that you will, if you, you are not, who you are right now changes with what you learn. So it's not even imaginary. And, you know, some of the things that I'm working on right now is really kind of drawing those case studies to, sh to showcase them. It's not imaginary. You are, like, I always tell people you become your goals. So if your goal is to be $20,000 a month in your, in, your, in your business, if it's $10,000 a month, 
you are going to get there when you have the skills of someone that makes $10,000 a month. Those are skills. People who make $10,000 a month have skills. Yes. Is there a time factor? Absolutely. You have to build your right. team. But mostly, mostly it's around skills because even building your team is a skill. Listening to people that are right for your business is a skill. Understanding what's behind the objections is a skill. It's all skills. So I just want to interrupt you there because it's not imaginary whatsoever. You, anyone, I know, but I can just feel the thoughts of people going, so if I just imagine what I want, but you're right. It's like you're not imagining. You just put yourself in that position. Like this is who I am. It's basically you're identifying yourself who you want to be right now. Yeah, it's like the, the foundation, I think, to success is understanding. See, in the United States, see, India and China are kicking our tail, right? Because the yeah. people in their, their society have a different understanding of ability. In America, in America, we believe ability is set, meaning what you have right now is all you've got. And that's a lie. It's a myth. It's a really big myth. We tend to idolize those people who are on the top. But when you look at their history, you will see that all that's difference between them and us is that what's, how they approached their goals and they approached their goals from a learning perspective. And if you, there's a great video that I'll send you, Monty, that I want you to send to your okay. team. It's, um, it's Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan, oh, okay. in this I, video... You know what, I think I've seen this one, but go ahead. Yeah, in this video, he says, you know, I think everybody, you know, he, he talks about how easy it looks. See, when we look at expertise, even when we look at those people on stage, you know, I was looking at them, if I would have saw them, like, 10 years ago, I would have been in awe. Like, they were amazing speakers. When I looked at them from this, from what I know now, from what science tells me, is that they practice themselves to being that excellent. So when I was listening to them, I wasn't listening to them in awe. I was listening to them for technique. And I, I imagine how many times did she say that? When did she do that? It was, I was looking at it from a whole different perspective. And the real key, the real key is to understand how biologically you're made and you are made, everyone listen to me, can achieve anything they want to achieve. It's not a myth. They can. But the, the problem is, is what your perspective is on ability. So Carol Dweck, I'm going to tell you a really quick story about this psychologist out of Stanford University. Carol Dweck, early when she just got out of doing her PhD, she wanted to understand how people deal with failure. So she created these puzzle pieces for children that they would do multiple puzzle pieces to the point where they failed. And what she discovered was that some people, when they, some kids, when they failed, they actually stopped. See, they stopped because, you know, they just don't think they can do it and they want to preserve their self-esteem. Like people don't want to fail in front of other people. And then there was these other kids that really stunned her, that as soon as a challenge, as soon as they couldn't uh, solve any more puzzle pieces, they started, you know, smacking their lips and, you know, rubbing their hands and getting really excited. And what she realized is that uh, there's two types of mindset. One mindset is of a person 
who actually believes that ability is something they can develop. And the other one has the belief that ability is something that's set. So we idolize people that are really good at something. And there's bloom. I mean, for the last 100 years, people have been studying these, what we consider prodigies, exceptional performers, and it's all practice. And this is a really interesting part. So Talent work has done a lot for it, been really heavily involved in sports psychology, but also with, you know, a lot of college students. So there was a study that was done recently, and they wanted to find out if college students had a fixed mindset, being that they thought ability was totally set, or if ability was something that you can grow. And so they put them in, they did a research study, and they found that all the college students pretty much said, yes, ability is something you can grow. But when they gave them an activity, none of them, most of them didn't do it. Because in America, we, have, we think that people are, these superstars, are, they're just born that way. Even though it doesn't rationally make sense, we still act as if they do. So once you, if people, if I could teach anyone on this line, if you really understand, listen, I read at the second grade reading level, and it's really hard for me to tell that story. You know why? Because yeah. people don't believe me. They don't, I sound too good. And the reality <laughs> is, is that I learned my way here. I just struggled and pushed and studied. And that's how I got here. And then I went out and I studied it and I researched how people create greatness. Everybody has that, but you have to first believe it because once you believe that your ability, you can accomplish anything, the way you approach your business will be entirely different. It will make a dramatic move from where you'll move so much faster, you'll be so much more aggressive, and you will focus on the right things. And the right things to focus on is just learning. Okay, how do you speak to clients? Blank. What do you say when someone gives you an objection? You say this, and you just practice your way. Anyway, I can tell I'm very pa- I'm very passionate about this because it's. To I, me, know. <laughs> I know. It I can't me How long to ask you to get on the call? I'm like, you know what? You, I got a Monday night call coming up, and you want to be on it? How long did it take me to figure this out? Was it the first <laughs> lunch? It was the first lunch, right? Yeah, I was like, Sorry. yeah, I. Yeah, I just. I'm gonna talk. I just. But it, <laughs> You, you know, I want to say this thing. I want to say this. So I used to be on stage a lot. When you were a top learner, as you all know from going to your events, you're always on stage. And I was on stage, and in my company was a lot of men in the business, mostly men in the business. And women weren't really, like, up front in the business. They were kind of played the background. And I was one of the few women on stage, and there was a few women of, you know, minority women, Latina, but everybody else was, like, you know, it was all Americans up there. And I would get off stage, and I would get on stage with the same passion, and I, I didn't know how to teach people how to succeed. I would just tell people what I did because at that time I wasn't really doing the research. And I would get off stage, and many times I would have a lot of women coming up to me because there weren't that many women, and a lot of people of color, all men and women, of, of, you know, Latino, African-American, uh, Chinese, all kinds of, you know, different races. I guess they connected with me more. And they would ask me, they would come to me and they say, man, I really like your speech, but tonight, how do you do it? And I would get that often, like, how do you do it? I'm like, I just told you what I did. And I <laughs> would repeat a lot of the things that I said, but they would not get it. And I think the thing was that they expected a magic 
formula. No, and the magic no pill thing, yeah. Yeah, so. But I, I agree. can tell you now how, I, I can tell you now, Monty, I know how to do it. I mean, I'm confident. You know, I'm a very advanced salsa dancer, like extremely advanced. And um, when I was, I've been dancing for three years. Most people think I've been dancing for six to seven years. And the thing is, I just know how to learn. I know yeah, I how that, to learn. I remember that first lunch when we were, we were sitting, it was like me, Zenaida, and then, um, oh, what was that kid from Columbia's name? I don't remember. I don't know, but here I am eating my food truck food, and you two are talking about salsa, and you talk about salsa one, salsa two. <laughs> and mind you, as a white dude, I'm like, there's just salsa, and you guys are talking about salsa one, salsa two, and then you know, there's even like a half step kind of deal. I'm like, what? So I'm like, <laughs> Colombian salsa. This thing going. I'm learning a new thing about a dance, you know. And of course, he's talking about well, you know, Colombia. They they start doing dancing as soon as they can stand up. God, you, know, you have so, a great memory. <laughs> well, I tell you, when you get interested in things, you remember things. And so as long as you can remain interesting, people will learn from you, one. And two is make sure you're in the right profession or the right occupation where you remain interested because as soon as you lose interest, it's over. And absolutely. I, I absolutely love this business. It's phenomenal because it's a people business, you know, and obviously I find people very interesting. And so – because people are different. It's like looking at different, different shades, really. Mm-hmm. So, man, I don't know. Okay, so we're talking about. Oh, so you're talking about. Well, I interrupted you. I interrupted you, and I'm so sorry. I just really want to hit that home. You, everyone on this line has the ability, and it's not a fantasy. If you say that you want to make ten thousand dollars a month, you can do it. But you have to learn the skills and knowledge of a ten thousand month earner, and that's it. Because uh, what okay, happens? Okay, so that reminded me. Okay. Okay, I'd throw this in because you're going to throw me off cue <laughs> again. Anyway, so you were talking about, you know, well, how do you do it? And it's like, well, you, you just practice speaking. And then we were there Saturday night and when, you know, they're doing this thing like, so you think you can present. And so people from the audience get a chance to come up and for three minutes they get a chance to present some part in their business presentation thing. And, and one dude rocked it from Hawaii, and then there's a few that, you know, you wish you would have went to the bathroom. But, you know, that kind of <laughs> deal. But, you know, that's what it is. And so anyway, you asked me, because, you know, you, I do B&I and a bunch of different network marketing group, or networking groups, like just business networking and things like that. And so you said, so what's your 30-second commercial? And I, I popped it off like that, like, no problem, and, you know, and it's one of those things where I can kind of shift it and mold it kind of depending on the season. So I can, I can change it now for the Christmas season kind of deal, but I could pop it off. If you would ask me three years ago, I would have said, I have a 30 second commercial. What's that? You know, but I, every single week I go to this networking thing and I do my, my 30 second commercial. And then there's another networking group I go to Friday mornings. I do my 30 second commercial there also. You know, so it is, it's practice, you know, and then on top of that, I'm like, I do Toastmasters, and so I practice that, and, you know, and that thing is usually like five to seven minutes, and usually I go way beyond the seven minutes, but they're, you know, it's okay, because I'm entertaining, they they say, I don't know, to me, I get done, and I beat myself up, but, you know, they say, yeah, it's great, you know, we don't care if you went over the seven minutes, and you talked for ten minutes, whatever, it was good, you know, and I'm like, don't tell me it's good, tell me what I need to work on, so I can keep working on things, but. That's exactly what it is. It's practice, and it's 
Um, but it, it, you know, but there's, a, there's a form of practice that actually gets you there very fast. It's called deliberate practice. And deliberate practice is really challenging. Um, so it's the whole thing of really challenging yourself at that moment. And that's where the speed comes in. So I want to I want to tell you a violin story about a, a school, and it, um, it's and I think most people probably in this line have heard of the ten thousand hour rule. But anyway, yeah. so Anders Ericsson, who is the pretty much the theorist who um, discovered the ten thousand hour rule, um, went to a school in Vienna, and he divided the 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 violinist in in three groups at the school. One of them, they're going to be solo violinists, meaning that they're international, top in their field, the teachers of the solo violinist, and those who are going to just play violin for recreational reasons. Now, I want to say that this is huge. This is huge. Because since 1906, a, a cousin of Darwin was looking at what is it about people that makes them so exceptional. And back in like 1886 or 18, in the 1800s, um, the father of, of psycho, a psychology, um, the American psychologist, um, William James, said that most people have mounds and mounds of resources available to them within themselves, that they could become anyone they can but most people don't tap into it. And so for over 150 years, or probably about 100 years from the time that this was discovered, people have been asking, what is, that, what is it? What is that one thing that makes people exceptional? So back 150 years, 300 years, 400 years ago, people thought it was innate talent, like this, something that people were born with. So maybe 40 years ago, Anders Ericsson, or 30 years ago, he realized that it was not, I mean, first of all, it's, the whole thing of innate talent has been debunked for probably the last 60 or 70 years. But a couple things were um, ingredients for people that become exceptional were that they had passion, like you said about something that you were doing, uh, Monty. Uh, right. That they persevered. Perseverance is really key, and I'll tell you why in a minute. And that they're focused. But what what Anders Ericsson discovered was that the only difference between the people that made it solo violinists is how many hours they practiced for. They did deliberate practice. So the person at the high end of the school did about eight thousand hours. The person that was going to be a teacher did five thousand hours. And the person that was going to do it for recreational reasons did it less than three thousand hours. So there's, and then they, 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 they tested for, you know, every variable, and that was the only variable that mattered. See, the reason I was successful in my network marketing business, you know what I did? I, studied, I used my index um, card uh, technique, and I started studying every objection. I studied them every single day. I would get up and I would take my objection list and I would read it. When I went to work and I went to visit clients, I took the subway because I lived in New York, I would read my objection list. I started thinking about what is, why would someone get involved with me in this business? What are those variables? I started thinking about long and hard. And that's pretty much why I was so successful. And that's why I usually succeed at what I do because I, not that I'm trying to boast, but I literally... 
I believe that anyone can learn anything, and then I just break things down, and I work hard at getting good at those essential skills. And that's pretty much all it really takes. And that's really it. But in order to be involved in those essential skills, you have to get rid of the chatter in your mind. You have to really believe that you can do it. And it takes time. (laughs) And think about, okay, so being an expert at whatever, you know, an expert at speaking or an expert at, you know, your business, whatever, that's like the elephant that you're about to eat. It's like, well, how do you, you know, the whole thing is, how do you eat an elephant? Well, it's one bite at a time. And so how do you become an expert? Well, uh, I can't remember who said this. I, it might have even been Einstein. He said, you could be an expert at anything you want. Just take 15 minutes a day and, you know, over a period of time, that adds up to 10,000 hours to become an expert. You know, it's just one bite at a time. You know, you just keep working on it, keep studying it, keep practicing it. It's going to come. Yeah, and like what you said, you know, you go to you go to Toastmasters, you go to these B and I meetings, and you go to these other network meetings, and you got so good because you practiced. You, first of all, you were on the spot, you went up there and spoke, and then you, you're like, okay, I have to change it for the seasons. And now what happens is you pull on memory, these memories you have on how you did it in the past. And I'll tell you another clue: everything you know how to do is memory. See, memory is what you build when you practice. And what happens is over time, you forget how you do it and you just do it because your brain actually has to forget in order for the organism to survive. Your brain has to forget. And that's why sometimes it's hard to say, hey, I don't really know how I learned that if someone asks you. But the reality is, is that it's memory. You actually said, okay, I'm going to say this. And you kind of practice it a few times. You saw it in your brain. And then all of a sudden it became really fluid. And you say, you know what, I'm going to add a little twist to this. And then you change it a little bit. You practice in your mind and you said it better. And now you're to the point, Monty, that you can say it anytime backwards and forwards because you practice and because you build it in your brain. And that's all it is. That's all it is. It's that simple. It's hard work. And this is a great thing. You don't have to do network. You don't have to be, it doesn't take 10,000 hours to become proficient at this business. It probably takes anywhere from, I would say, 2,000 to 4,000 hours. This is not, when you talk about 10,000 hours, you're talking about. Right, but it's like 4,000 deliberate hours. Yeah, but I'm just saying that we, here in this business, doesn't, you don't need to be 10,000 hours to be an expert. No, you, no. Because it's a lot easier. We're not building companies. We're not, you know, we're not changing. Like an expert in the 10,000 hour rule is someone that is remarkable, someone that has changed the course of history because of their expertise. We're just trying to get good at something that's pretty darn simple, but that t- does take work to learn. So, right, and it has a system that you can follow anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I was thinking about when you're talking about, you know, that skill comes automatic. I mean, think about riding a bike or you think about walking. Do you think about, okay, so I'm going to rock forward onto my toes and then I'm going to bend my knee and then I'm going to use my hip flexor, drive my leg forward, and then I'm going to use my proprioception to balance on one leg while there's other legs in the air. You don't think about that. You just walk. Exactly. Some people, go ahead. I am so sorry. And this is the thing. When you were a kid, you know how many times you attempted to walk every single day until you learn? Yep. No, do you know? I know the number. <laughs> oh. Yes. Oh, there's a Every, number. Oh, I have yes. no idea. About 10,000 times a day. 
believe it or not. So a child, a child attempts to learn how to walk. And you know why they can't walk? For two reasons. One, their brain is not developed enough. And number two, their brains have to make the neural connections. So what happens is the brain has to develop. The baby can't walk because physiologically it can't, and also because the brain has to make neural connections, right? But what happens over time is that your brain develops to a certain place, your body develops physiologically, but also those neural connections have to be made. It's just like when someone has a stroke and they can't move their arm. The reason they can't move their arm is that that part of the brain went a little lumb, and it just changed right. forms, and they have to relearn how to do it. You know, what happens when you make it's, – it's so – I know it's kind of boring, but, and I'm going to make it sexy one day, but basically it's just making <laughs> neural connections. And when you make neural connections, there's a sheet that, on top of the neurons that smooths out over practice. And when that sheet is clear and, and, and smooth, you are able to perform it simply, easily, and fast. And one thing is the more you practice, the faster you get the faster you get at everything because that's all it is, is that you're making those neural connections and you're building the structure around them so that you can perform really fast. And I just, you know, the reason I'm so excited about this, Monty, because I think, even though it may sound a little boring and I definitely want to make it more sexy, it's just what is possible? What is possible? That's what I'm excited about. They have done a lot of this work with kids in, 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 in school systems that are failing. Um, they're teaching kids how to have grit, how to persevere, how to study, how to, you know, oh. just get into a growth mindset. And it's changing. It's, it, in some systems, it's changing. Kids that are coming from really bad backgrounds, they are absolutely making inroads in those schools because it's just really about that zest. It's about knowing that you can learn and knowing that you could become anything you want to become, but you have to work hard and you have to practice. You're going to say Speaking something. Speaking of that, yeah. Well, you, okay, this is pretty much how our conversations have been like all weekend. It's, do you talk about something like, oh, yeah, and then, you know, or I talk about something like, oh, oh, you know about that? Okay, yeah, and then we talk about the grit test. We've got to talk about the grit test a little bit. And okay. We could take the test. I could send it to you. You could have everybody take it on your team. That'd be fun because, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could, like, give the test to somebody just to know, like, okay, so how well can they stick with something, like true grit? Well, we can, yeah, we can we can't talk about the test too much <laughs> because then it'll, it'll skew the test. Huh? Right. But I want to, like, personally, I want to know how, like, how am I doing, like, where am I at on this scale? Okay, so why don't, we, we, why don't we do this? One day, you, I, we could send up, I could give you the test, and you could have everyone take it, and then I could explain it Boy, if you want fun. to. Yeah, yeah, I could yeah, explain it. So, you know, grit is really interesting. I, you know, a lot, of, a lot of Angela Duckworth, which is the person that actually, um, you know, kind of, came up with a theory, or she did come up with a theory, is based on everything I'm talking about. It's based on the whole thing of what creates exceptional performance. Now, this is what's really interesting about that work. So Angela, she's worked with, like, cadets at, you know, at West Point. She worked with spelling bee um, participants. I mean, she's worked with a, a, a slew of different types of, of groups of people to see what is that one factor that actually has people succeed. And grit is passion, 
and perseverance for long-term goals. Passion, which you spoke about, and perseverance, which is pretty much what I've been talking about. And she's been asked why. Why is grit important? And she talks a lot about deliberate practice. But she says grit is important because it builds resilience. And resilience is so important to learning. The reason that grit is so important is because you have to persevere. You have to pick those goals and persevere because your brain, you have to be, give yourself time to develop the skills, to develop a system. Like, you know, it, does, it doesn't happen overnight. And the biggest problem with people is they jump from one thing to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. When I was in my network marketing business, I knew a few people that left to another company, then left another company, then left another company, and left another company, and never ever succeeded. And if you, know you what that's again, called? what that's called being a serial entrepreneur instead of being a serious entrepreneur. That's right. And the majority of people that were on stage, Monty, how long were they with their network marketing company? Most of them, a long time. Like Fifteen but years, seventeen there was, years. There was a few years. of them that that failed the first few years because they were jumping from one to the next. Exactly. 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 Until they stuck yeah. with one and then they and they stayed in. No one no it's one the, succeeds unless they stick to one thing. You can't. You're just starting all over again. It's like building a house with putting up half the house with bricks and then just starting all over again and then putting building a house again and you put bricks up and then all of a sudden you smash those bricks and start all over again. It's, it's insanity. It is insanity, or it's, it's, it's you, you go to the grocery store and you buy groceries, and then you go to the checkout line, and this is exactly where this falls in, and you see the lines, and so you decide, well, we always want to go to the shortest line because you, you, you get the goods the fastest. So you go to the shortest line, and mind you, the shortest line might be 20 deep, <clears throat> and then here's where your grit comes in. It's like, well, how long can you stay in, in this line because you know the other lines are long, and Maybe somebody screwed something up up in front, whatever. But, you know, you probably have seen this where people will, will be in the checkout line and then they give up on buying, you know, the handful of things they had and screw this, I'm going to go to the other grocery store because it's going to be better service, whatever. Whereas the time that it takes for them to walk or drive or go to the other store would probably be three times as long as they would have just stayed in the line and got their stuff and got out. So that's like That's the grid thing with that. It's like it's pretty obvious. And the only way to get to the front of the line is to stay in line, really, and work your way through the process. That's not my – and just remember, that's not my analogy. That's actually Oren Salas. <laughs> no, that's a great analogy. That's a great a analogy. One. Now I'm stuck in my head, you know, so it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So I love those guys because they can, they can do a, a real-life analogy to something that seems like a big issue and just break it down and go, yeah, well, just stay in the grocery line. You'll be fine. Can I do? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, he's learned from stories, so it's a great analogy. It is. Okay, we're at the top of the hour, so I'm I'm going to end with one thing because I know we missed a few things, but obviously <laughs> we have a, plenty of room for a follow-up talk on this. But I think probably one of the biggest burning questions people have that I have that we have listed when we send out an email and we put it on Facebook is what you and I both think about the law of attraction, and so. I'm going to let you just tackle this one because I, I, we're pretty much on the same page, but 
I'm going to let you tackle that one. Cause I, I listed it, you know, like what does Montes and I really think about law of attraction? So okay. go. So, okay. So my first book, I, I'm actually in the process of writing two books. My first book is called from fantasy to action, the science of achieving your goals. And it's based on this science of mental contrasting. And so my take is that, that thinking positively is great because thinking positively helps you get in touch to see if what you're thinking about is something you really want. So fantasies or thinking and dreaming helps us connect to those things. And it's a very normal experience. But I also think that looking at objection, obje, obje, objections, yeah, obstacles, sorry, is a critical element. And from psychological research, I think we have to balance positive thoughts with the obstacles that are going to get in the way. And what science tells us is that when you do both, you actually take more action. So that's kind of my take. I think there's a very positive side of the law of attraction, which is really getting in touch with what is it that you really desire. But I also found in psychological research that it's also doing the opposite. It's thinking about what are those obstacles that are going to get in my way. And it's so exciting because what happens is when you actually think of the obstacles, it makes you commit. It makes those goals stick, and it has you take action. Huh. So that kind of covers our inoculating because we <laughs> But, you know, Zanetta, I have like three pages of notes, by the way, so if I oh, ever um, seem quiet. All right, so here's my take on the law of attraction. One is I love to break down words. So if you look at just the word attraction, you have at – Basically, it's at our action. So you got to think about you're attracting things because you're at you're going you're you're going into action. Absolutely. Second is, you know, you really got to break down the words because there's more behind the word than actually just the full word. Second thing is there's there's an acronym and it's TEAR. So T E A R, and law of attraction focuses on the first two parts of that word with the T E and the E, so it's thoughts because thoughts become things. That's another book. Think and grow rich kind of deal. You gotta think about what you want first. And then, you know, most people screw up with the two middle words and then the last one is result. And so law of attraction basically it's it's thoughts and emotion, but they kinda of leave out the action thing. And action is the A part. Where some people they'll sometimes they get stuck in the they have the thought and they go into action and they're looking for the results, but the results quite aren't there because they forgot the E part where they don't have the emotion behind it. And that's kind of where the passion comes in, where you got to be really, you got to be all in more or less. And so that's kind of my take on law of attraction is that you need all four letters of the word tier because it's, you know, thought, emotion, action, results. You need all those. and, And you also need to think about just breaking down the words. And it's like, what well, is a law? So, it, you know, it does happen, but you need to really break things down and, and make sure that you're at our action or you're at your own action kind of deal. You got to put it in action because you can't just sit there and, and ohm and attract things in your, your world. Or, you know, the, the woo-woo people will say, well, you can, but that's when you're like in the sixth dimension where you can do that, where you can just bring things out of midair. But we're not in that dimension right now, so... You know, 
you got to think about it. You got to get emotional about it, and you got to go out and get it. Then you get results. So mm. that's my take. Well, that's our take on the law of attraction. I'm going to steal that. I love that. I think that's awesome. I'm going to use. It. I'm going to borrow it. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Like, yeah. you know, I, can I can I say something? Can I tell an analogy and then I'll leave because I, you know, I get so excited about teaching. I want to. Sure. Can I give an analogy? I don't know the name of this guy, but this guy was really awesome. He actually, um, there was this uh, math equation that no one could figure out, and he spent around six years until he figured it out. I can't remember his name, but he, you know, he got many, I think he got uh, not the Nobel Prize, but he got some big prize for what he did. And it was pretty much an unsolvable equation. And the way he looked at his experience was like living in a castle that is dark. He said, you go into a room and you putz around, and you fall into things, and you fall, and you, but you keep on feeling your way through that room. And then you find the light switch, and all the light goes off, and you realize where you were and what you did. And you have a few minutes or a few moments of this victory. But then you go into the next room. Again, it's dark, and you're just touching yourself, feeling your way through. And then you may find the light. It may take you five months or six months, but then you turn on the light, and again, you have a sense of victory, but then you only have it for a few minutes, and then it's off to the next room until you get through the whole castle. And I really think that that's the key. It's the key to be willing to be in the dark room as you learn, as you feel your way through, and as you keep on going from room to room. And, and it's really just getting to the, every room in your castle. And it really is that simple. You know, some of the people I've seen succeed had no right to succeed, but they just kept on moving forward. And, you know, if we think about the people we admire most, it's those people that persevere. I mean, they, they, they inspire us and they, they make us dream bigger of what's possible. And I really believe that everyone, everyone can succeed. But first, they have to have passion. Like Monty said, you have to be committed you have to learn how to persevere, and that, what that's going to learn is just really just for you to learn. It just leads to learning. That's it. And through learning, through building that brain that has all the different elements of your business, you will be a rock star in this business or anything you decide to be in. So that's what I want to say. All right. So everyone start rewiring your circuits inside your brain and your body because that's exactly how it works. Just build a new you. Awesome. Well, Zenaida, thank you so much for being on the call. That was phenomenal. I know we could probably go another hour because we have so many things that we could talk about. But we'll stop there. So here's what I'm going to do. Stand the line, please, for a little bit. I'm going to unmute the line so everybody can say goodnight to you. And then we'll sign off. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. 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 Th